Please take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 15. My preparation time this week has been quite short, so it's mostly going to be consideration just of the text and of what the text says, and just allowing the Word of God to speak for itself with a few thoughts added in. We're going to read, going back a little ways in Mark chapter 15, a portion of the crucifixion. I realize that many of you may have been here for the Good Friday service, and many of you may have read this outside of that as well, and have spent time contemplating the death of Jesus Christ. We want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and yet we need the context of the death and the burial of Jesus Christ as well, so we will look at that briefly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are you are a good a good God, a good Savior, that you are awesome, that you are powerful, that you are mighty. We thank you that there is no other like you, that you alone are God. And Lord, as we gather together this morning, we ask that you would enable us to bow before you, to yield to you, to acknowledge you as Lord of all. And I pray that that would not just be in some cosmic sense that we recognize that you're big, but that individually we would yield to you. We would bow the heart of our lives to you and submit to you that we would acknowledge the work that was done in the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that we would see that redemption, that restoration has been made available because of the death, burial, and resurrection. And I pray that this would not just be in theory, but that we would truly rejoice, that our lives would be transformed as we consider your death, burial, and resurrection. Especially in light of today and the resurrection, Lord, that we would be more like you as we look upon your resurrection. We would be enabled to live pleasing to you as we consider your resurrection. We thank you that death did not defeat you, that the grave couldn't hold you, but that you rose in victory. And you've called your children, those who trust in you by grace through faith, to walk in victory as well. And I pray that we would spend today and we would leave today rejoicing and walking in victory through Jesus Christ. We ask now that you would take your word and you would apply your word to our hearts by your Holy Spirit to accomplish your purpose in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 15, starting mid-passage and mid-story. Verse 25, now it was the third hour and they crucified him, that is, they crucified Jesus Christ, the innocent one, the pure one, the holy one, the son of God, God in the flesh, they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written, the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, He saved others himself, he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Lord God, we ask that you would cause us to look back through time and history and to see this moment where God in the flesh lay down his life to pay for the sins of mankind. Cause us to marvel in it. Cause us to rejoice in it. For our freedom was bought through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Consider the cross this morning for a moment. Consider the tomb where they lay Jesus Christ. This is an actual, literal event that God in flesh was slain for wicked mankind. That Jesus Christ the creator and sustainer of all things, the word who became flesh, the one who was with God and is with God and is God. In humility, Philippians says, took on human form in the likeness of sinful mankind and walked to the cross, even bore his own cross. Consider the sacrifice, and we have looked at that Recently, as we've considered the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died as a substitute for sinners. He died in my place. That is, I am condemned to death because of my sin. And sin is anything that we do, think, or say that is contrary to God, to the character of God. And we are all, and we must confess, we must acknowledge that we are all sinners. We have all sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans tells us. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And the consequence of sin is death. And Jesus Christ intervened and said, I will die in your place. Death being not just physical death, but eternal separation from God, the one we were designed to be in relationship with. God stepped in and said, I will pay that price. Why? Because my child can't. They can't bear the consequence of sin. They can't pay it. They can't be redeemed in and of themselves. Somebody else who is perfect and innocent and spotless 
must pay the penalty. Otherwise, they cannot have true life. They cannot be in right relationship with God. And so Jesus Christ, in that humility, didn't consider his glory something to be grasped at, something to be held on, but laid aspects of it down and came in humility and died in our place. Consider the cross, the greatest display of both love and of justice, because in the cross of Jesus Christ, God's justice was carried out against sin. He condemned it, and Christ bore the penalty of it. The greatest display of love and of justice, of judgment, we see in the cross of Jesus Christ. The greatest display of mercy, that God would pour out his anger against sin on his own son, Christ in the flesh, rather than upon you and I. Consider the cross. But praise God, it did not end at the cross, and it did not end at the tomb. Mark chapter 16. Now when Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept, or as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and that he had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had been risen. Amen. He is not here. He is risen. Come and see. This is where he was. This is the tomb in which he had laid. He is not here. He is risen. We marvel at the cross, or we consider the cross, but we marvel at the resurrection. We consider the cross and the agony, and yet we rejoice in that, but also at the resurrection. We look back on the cross as that moment of sorrow, in a sense, realizing it ultimately was the moment of greatest joy, which was proclaimed or demonstrated. It, it radiated forth in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rejoice and marvel at the resurrection. You know, the New Testament church spent a lot of time marveling at the resurrection. The theme of the New Testament church was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is to be the theme of every church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We understand from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ is not risen, we are still in our sins. That is, we are still spiritually dead. We are still separated from God if Christ is not risen. But because of the resurrection, all those who trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ can be brought into right relationship with God. 
And so we rejoice in the resurrection. It is central for us. We gather every Sunday morning because it is the day of resurrection. It is the first day of the week and Christ rose. We gather here today specifically because Christ is risen from the grave. We have life because Christ is risen from the grave. We have joy. We have hope. We have peace because Christ is risen. All the spiritual blessings that belong to the child of God by grace through faith. In other words, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to provide eternal life for you, every single blessing in that, and there are countless, we're told that it is an inheritance undefiled, that it was awaiting for us an eternal inheritance. Every blessing that we have is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The New Testament church celebrated it, we celebrate it. In the book of Acts, which is the beginning story of the New Testament church, the resurrection is spoken of at least 20 plus times, where, where it goes and makes a direct statement because he has been raised or he was risen in defense of and, and proclamation of the gospel in the very first declaration of that gospel, of the death, burial, and resurrection. We see that in the book of Acts, that it is proclaimed. The focus absolutely in places in the rest of the Word of God, 1 Corinthians and Romans, it comes back to the cross because that is where Christ laid down his life for us. But for the New Testament church, the focus was the resurrection. They knew he had died. Now they are proclaiming that he has risen. A crucifixion was not unusual in that sense. There were others who'd been crucified. There'd been others who had died. Obviously, they knew that. They were familiar with death. It was unavoidable. It is unavoidable. It was not a foreign concept, but the resurrection, that's a foreign concept. And yes, there were some who believed in a future resurrection, but here we have in Jesus Christ the resurrection where the one who had died was risen to, to new life, never to die again. And the church went out proclaiming that Jesus Christ was the resurrected Lord of all. He was alive. Marvel at the resurrection. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. Men of Israel, this is Peter speaking after Pentecost, so 50 days after the ascension of Christ. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, God knew what he was doing in this. You, that is the Jews and all those who had been there, crucifixion of Christ, Jews and Romans, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. He's laying the blame clearly on them and clearly upon all of mankind. But it goes on in the next verse. It says, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death, set him free from that, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. The first sermon proclaimed after the coming of the Holy Spirit, the establishing of the church, was this message. Christ crucified and risen. Christ crucified and risen. Christ is risen. And in that, we have incredible joy. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, much was accomplished. And I'll just give you a few things this morning. It proved that Jesus was God. That God raised him. God the Father raised him from the grave. It was a definite proof that he was not an ordinary man. That God had worked a mighty work in him. That he was divine. That he was deity. It proved 
this God. It fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. There had been references given, speaking, looking forward to this coming Messiah. And there were also some references speaking of his death and speaking of his resurrection. And he is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Jesus Christ himself had also prophesied the same thing. He had said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the depth of the earth. I'm not, I'm misquoting that a little bit, but you get the idea. He had said in three days he would rise. Matter of fact, in accounts where they're looking back after, they remember, oh yes, that's right. He said he would die and that he would rise from the dead. It fulfilled prophecy of the Old Testament and the prophetic word which Jesus Christ had already uttered. Christ is risen. It satisfied in the resurrection. It satisfied the wrath of God against sin. God is angry with sin, and he has a right to be because God is holy and perfect. And he designed us to live in holiness. And as a righteous judge, it upsets him when that which he has created for holiness does not live in holiness. It is a slight against God when we sin. And as a righteous judge, he has judged sin. And he will condemn sin and pour out his wrath against sin. And what happened is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God said, this sacrifice of my son, of my only begotten son, is sufficient to satisfy my just demand against sin. He poured out the wrath of God on Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ secured salvation for all those who would trust in him. Your salvation was not secured only in the death and burial of Jesus Christ. It was secured in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection proved Christ's authority over the grave. The grave couldn't control him. Death was not an issue for him. He was victorious over it. What is the greatest thing that we fear? Death, generally speaking. We need not fear it because he is victorious over it. It proved his authority. He defeated death. It also, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, gave hope for our resurrection. And that ties back with the, with the other one, that we don't have to fear death or fear the grave. Why? Because he will raise his own to be with him eternally. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it made the statement that I'm coming back to take my own to be with me. The resurrection to come. It gives confidence for life today in Jesus Christ to those who trust him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we have a God who is alive not a God who is dead. We have a God who is intervening, not a God who is silent. We have a God who is interactive in that sense that he is invested in the lives of his children, not distant from us. This is shown and proclaimed in the resurrection. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have Christ himself becoming the intercessor for mankind. That is, he is the one who goes between man and God the Father. We cannot approach God the Father except through Jesus Christ because we're sinners. It also works the other way, that he mediates the grace of God. God is not going to reach out to sinful mankind in any way except through Jesus Christ. He is the intercessor. He is the go-between. The Word of God clearly tells us that he is our intercessor. All of this was accomplished in the resurrection and much more. Paul says the resurrection is the key element to the gospel. Without the resurrection, we would still be in our sins. Listen to this well-known passage. I quoted a little bit of it earlier. Moreover, brethren, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I declare to you the gospel. This is the good news of salvation, which I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, 
if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all, not first as in order, it's not chronology, but as foremost, that which I also received. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. This is foremost. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. It is the good news bringing salvation to all those who believe. The resurrection is paramount. He is alive. He is risen. And I want to focus just briefly on that because we do focus on the rest of it a little bit, maybe more, and we focus on what is accomplished in the resurrection, and that's a good thing as well. We focus on the joy of it and the wonder of it. And quite often, even in reading the story, we just pause there and we contemplate some of the major themes, come and see, go and tell, or the joy of it, the proclamation of it, the wonder of it, the amazement of it, the fear of it. But I want to contemplate just the fact that he is alive. Not so much the event of the resurrection as just that statement itself. He is risen. In Revelation chapter 1, and this is not often a passage that is used on Easter, but it has a verse in here that is powerful and is very applicable for us. The book of Revelation is the revelation of God to the Apostle John for the church. It is a proclamation of who Christ is and what he is yet to do. And it is clear here that Christ is central. Christ is preeminent. He is supreme through the book of Revelation. He is the theme, even though it is speaking an awful lot about the wrath of God being poured out. And I'd encourage you to take some time. I'm not going to read the entire passage this morning, but Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 to the end of verse 18 would be a good passage to read. But speaking of Jesus Christ, it is clear here that this is who he is speaking of. John saying, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. It is speaking of Jesus Christ. It speaks of him who was pierced. It's speaking of Jesus Christ. But in verse 17 and 18, John's response, when I saw him, this is when I had the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, this this phenomenal one, and it's an incredible description of him there in verse 12 to verse 16. But John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. I want to focus in on verse 18. Jesus Christ is he who lives. Jesus Christ is he who was dead. And Jesus Christ is he who is alive forevermore. This is the God we serve. Jesus Christ is he who lives. Have you ever stopped and thought about that statement? Jesus Christ is he who lives. The NIV translates it as Jesus saying, I am the living one. I am the living one. Yes, it does say he was alive and died and lives again, but it says more than that. Jesus Christ is he who lives eternally, infinitely, unchangeably, Jesus Christ is life. He is the essence of what life is. All life is in him. That is why John, going back to the first book he wrote, in John chapter 1, verse 4, says, In him was, speaking of Christ, in him was life, and life was the light of man. In him was 
life. Jesus Christ is the source. He wasn't just alive. He is the source of life. The words there in John and here in Revelation include both physical and spiritual life. It is all found in Christ. When we are born, we received physical life because of Jesus Christ. When we are born again spiritually, we receive spiritual life. Both of those come from him. Without Jesus Christ, there would be no life. He is the creator of all things. You can see that in John chapter 1. You can see it in Colossians chapter 1. In him it says all things consist, and he is before all things, and by him all things were made that were made. In him is life. He is life. Do you get the wonder of that statement? It's not just that he was alive. There is no life without him. People argue and debate about where life came from, the origins of life. Well, on any and every level, it came from Jesus Christ. He is the author, and he is the source of life. There would be no single cell structure and no complex human DNA in those two extremes without Jesus Christ. In him was life. Jesus Christ is he who lives physically, but also spiritually. He is the source of spiritual life. And this one, in one sense, is even more complex than physical life. He is life to those dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians tells us that everyone born physically is born spiritually dead, dead in trespasses and sins. That is, they they are not and cannot of themselves be in relationship with God. They are separated from him. And you know where the source of life is? You know where the source of restoration between mankind who was created to be in loving relationship with God and God is? The source of life is Jesus Christ. And there would not, there could not be spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ. He is life. To those, to us, who are corrupt and decaying because of sin, Jesus Christ is life. He is new life. He is full life. He is true life. No one else is except him. This is Jesus Christ, he who lives. The second thing we see in that verse in Revelation is Christ is he who was dead. Now, having even the slightest understanding of what it means that Christ is life, now wrap your minds around the fact that Christ is he who was dead. Yes, he was alive and he died and he's alive again. But life, died and was made alive again. Christ has been made alive. He was dead. It wasn't just that someone who was alive died, but life itself died. The fountain and source of life died in the flesh. God himself took on flesh in Jesus Christ. He came in the likeness of sinful man. He came in a body that was fully human and he died. No wonder Satan thought that this was a good thing. No wonder Satan thought that he was winning. Life was being defeated because Jesus Christ is a source of life. And if Satan can destroy him, he destroys life. That meant life for us as well, spiritually speaking, would not be possible if he stayed dead. If you kill the source, then you kill the rest. If you kill the root, you kill the branch. Christ is he who was dead. Life itself died in Jesus Christ. But the awesome thing about this verse and about that phrase right there is that it is past tense. Christ was dead. 
maybe you've never spent any time thinking about that. The fact that it's past tense, that doesn't even make sense in our limited vernacular. You can't actually say, except of Christ and now in Christ understanding the resurrection, you can't actually say was dead. Now, maybe there are some weird, semi-miraculous or bizarre events where people claim was dead or even possibly was, but we don't use it. We don't use it. We don't use the past tense about death. It's present. If a person's dead, they're dead. Not was dead, because was dead means that they're now living. You don't speak of death that way. But with Jesus Christ, you do. He who was dead. He was dead, past tense. But it is he who lives and was dead and is alive forevermore. And Christ did die. We must not skip over that. The Word of God tells us that the just one died for the unjust. That is, he who was holy died for me, who was a sinner. The righteous one died for this sinner. The perfect one died for this wretched being. The innocent one died for us guilty people. Christ died to pay for our sin. He was that substitutionary sacrifice. He was the one who went to the cross in my place. And I I would encourage you, don't miss that point. If you're here today to celebrate Easter and you don't understand the significance of the death of Jesus Christ, you're going to miss the boat. Spiritually and eternally, Christ came to die for you so that you could be forgiven of your sin. So that you could be, so you could become a child of God, one of his own, adopted, brought back into the family so that you would know the love of God. Jesus Christ died to save you from your coming condemnation because of sin. And praise God, he was raised from the dead. Christ is he who was dead. And thirdly, Christ is he who is alive. Christ is he who is alive forevermore. Alive forevermore. What a ring that has to it. There is nothing that has power over Jesus Christ. It is forevermore alive. We live in a world still under the sway, still under the effect, the influence of sin and of death. Don't we live in a world that is that is burdened? Romans tells us is groaning. Creation is groaning and even we who are believers are groaning within ourselves. Why? Because we live in a world full of death. Sin has consequence. We see it in sickness and disease and natural disasters. We see the effect of sin around us. And so we groan within our bodies. And yet we serve one who is alive forevermore, over whom sin no longer has any sway. I shouldn't say no longer has, never had, will not have any sway or any power or any control. This is our Savior. He is alive forevermore. I don't know how many times the Word of God uses forever and ever or even until the end, or all of these phrases which speak of the fact that Christ is eternal, that there is a plan, that it did not end there. It didn't end in your own chaos and confusion and disaster. It hasn't ended because Jesus Christ is still Lord and right now is still extending opportunity. He is the one who is alive and he offers life to all those who will come to him. So we celebrate the resurrection. He is the Savior who is the victor over sin and death. He is the resurrection and life. He is our eternal hope. He is alive in us, and I pray He is alive in you, that you know Him as Lord and Savior. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says that He ever lives to make intercession for us. 
so he is able to save those who believe in him to the utmost. That verse says that he can save me, this wretched sinner, because he lives forever to intercede for me. His salvation has been offered. This is the one who is alive, who is who is still working today. And I pray you know his saving power. You know his work in your life. I pray if, if you hear nothing else today that you hear that. This isn't just a memorial. Good Friday is a memorial. This is a ongoing and will be eternal celebration of the one who eternally is alive. You can go to the grave today and you won't find him. You can go to the cross today and you won't find him. Not in that sense. You can go back in history. You're not going to find him there in that sense. Why? Because he's not just God of the history. But today, he is alive and he's calling to you to be made alive in him, to come to him and to confess your sins to him, to trust that the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that he died in your place and that he's able to save you and to give you new life, to restore you in relationship with God. The resurrection is for today. Other religions, they may have great mantras and slogans. They may have good philosophy. But we serve a living God. We serve a God who is able today and willing today to intervene to rescue you, to intervene and to rescue me. We serve a God who, praise God, is able to secure us and keep us as well. If you have trusted him, I pray that you're walking pleasing to him by his power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. We serve a living God. What is an idol of gold or wood worth? What is another religion worth when it is in something that is temporary and passing and dead? We have the only God. We have the only God who is life himself. He is a God who is not distant or removed from us. He is near to us. He lives to mediate between man and God the Father. This means we are his purpose. We are his delight in that sense. We are his, without sounding sacrilegious, his reason for living. His children. And I pray that you are his. Christ is he who is alive forevermore. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge that so often we take even these passages that we've read and we take them lightly and we take too often the topic of the resurrection lightly or at least maybe we would say theoretically. God, I pray that you would drive the truth of the resurrection into our hearts, not in any way just theory, but in every way practically, that you would work a miraculous work in us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you would transform us to be like Jesus Christ through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That you would convict us where we have erred because we serve a risen Lord. That you would strengthen us where we are weak because you are real and you are present. And we thank you for that. Lord, cause our hearts to rejoice in you today. Cause us to consider, absolutely consider the cross and the tomb but help us to be, cause us to be in awe and wonder because of your resurrection. 
And may we have eyes as well that are set to the future when you will come to take us to be with yourself, when we will be made like the Lord, for we shall see you as you are. We thank you that in your resurrection you have promised and you will complete our resurrection as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.